First of all, I'd like to welcome all the newcomers to Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I can make you a promise right now that uh, you don't ever have to take another drink of alcohol the rest of your life if you don't want to, one day at a time. And, uh, you know, my sponsor was, uh, my sponsor's out of town tonight, and uh, I said, well, you're not, <clears throat> you're not going to be there, so I guess that means I can tell a few lies, huh? He says, no, he says, it's going to be taped. And then just before I got up there, Nancy put a little ring on my finger, and I said, what's that for? He says, it's a hemorrhoid that allows you to tell the truth. So I guess I'm supposed to tell the truth tonight, huh? You know, if you're, uh, if you're new, he'll sit here new tonight. And uh, a lot of things that you hear around these rooms, you know, doesn't make any sense or you don't understand it. You're in the right place. When I first started coming around Alcoholics Anonymous, nothing made any sense to me. They might have been talking a foreign language as far as I was concerned. But I couldn't, I, I couldn't conceive, I couldn't understand what they were talking about. They were talking about staying sober. They were talking about a higher power in their life. They were talking about living the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous. When I, uh, this is my third time in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, by the grace of God and, uh, and the teachings of Alcoholics Anonymous, good sponsorship and a lot of old-timers around Alcoholics Anonymous that helped me to be where I am today. You know, and a lot of them old-timers are gone today, and I miss them. Because they're so detrimental to my sobriety. You know, and it's by the grace of God and, and, and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, I haven't had to take a drink of alcohol since April 11th, 1990. You know, and, and for that, I am extremely grateful. You know, I don't, I consider it a miracle that I'm not drinking today. I consider it a miracle that I'm not using today. I consider it a miracle that I'm not sitting in a penitentiary somewhere today. You know, I'm not the miracle. Alcoholics Anonymous and my higher power, who I choose to call God today, is a miracle. I just happen to be a small part of it. You know? and, I'm, and I'm so grateful for that. You know? I'm grateful to be able to have the privilege and the honor to be able to participate in the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, whether I'm speaking or, or whether I'm uh, sitting in a, in a meeting at, at at my home group, or whether I'm pouring coffee, or whatever. And the reason I believe it's a privilege to be able to participate in Alcoholics Anonymous is because I don't believe that it's just because I'm an alcoholic that I have the right to sit in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. If I have the right to sit in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, what about the other people out there that, that died from this disease and never got a chance to sit in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous? They never got a chance. And that's why, for me, you know, I consider it a privilege and an honor. You know. And I'm very grateful to have that privilege. I'm very grateful that I don't have to live the way that I used to live. I'm very grateful that I don't have to feel the way that I used to feel. You know. 
And it's all a direct result of Alcoholics Anonymous. I, uh, yeah, I love talking about recovery, but it tells me in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that I have to share my experience, strength, and hope, you know, what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like now. And they, then they go on to say, in a general way, thank God. Yeah. There's a lot of things I share from the 40s with Alcoholics Anonymous. There's a lot of things that I share around the tables of Alcoholics Anonymous. But I guarantee you right now, I do not share everything that happened in my life at the tables of Alcoholics Anonymous. But I can guarantee you one thing, my sponsor knows everything. And uh, you know, I, I started I started drinking at a real early age. I, you know, I'll make this quick. And uh, I started drinking at a real early age. Uh, because it, it allowed me to feel different, it allowed me to feel accepted, it allowed me to feel a part of. See, when I was, when I was young, when I was about 12, 13 years old, you know, I always wanted to be like uh, the other guys at school. You know, and they was drinking and they was doing this and they was doing that, and I wanted to be a part of that. So I started I started drinking with them, and, and I found out that alcohol did something for me. You know, it allowed, it, it allowed me to... Uh, to do and, and say things that I couldn't do without it. You know, I'm the, I'm the, ty I'm the type of person that I can walk into a bar and there could be a good looking woman sitting at the bar and I ain't had nothing to drink and I, I ain't got nerve to say hi to her. But I could put a couple of drinks in me and I could talk to her. Give me a couple more drinks and I was asking her to dance. And give me a couple more drinks, and she's awful damn lucky. I didn't let her talk to me. Yeah. That's what alcohol did for me. You know, that's what alcohol did for me. And uh, you know, first time, uh, first time I went to juvenile hall, uh, it was behind drinking. And, uh, and I remember the counselors of juvenile hall telling me that if I didn't quit doing, you know drinking and doing the other things that I was doing that I was going to end up in California Youth Club. And I told so what? Eventually I ended up in California Youth Club. And you know what? The counselor there told me the same exact thing. They told me, they said, you know what? If you don't stop drinking and, and, and doing that dope and, and doing the things you're doing, you're going to end up in state prison. And I told them, so what? And uh, eventually I ended up in state prison. Yeah. I was a very violent drunk, very, very violent drunk. You know, I loved hurting people. And it didn't matter if it was emotionally or physically, but I loved hurting people. You know, I remember I got in a fight out in clothes at a bar one night, and, and, and I had the guy whip. You know, but see, I wasn't satisfied with that. You know, I wasn't satisfied until I got him on the, on the bar room floor he grabbed me by the hair of the head and just beat, beat his head against the barroom floor. And so finally, finally the, the police came and they hauled me off the jail and hauled him off to the hospital. And he ended up with 67 stitches put his head back. And, uh, you know, that's the way I drank. You know, I was the type of drunk, you know, I loved them Honky Kong bars. You know, where the cue sticks are flying, bar stools are flying, everything and everybody's flying. You know. And, uh, you know, 
you go out, go out drinking in a bar, you know, the night's not complete until you get in a bar room fine. It just wasn't complete. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, I, I went to Juvenile Hall, then I went to the California Youth Authority, and I ended up in, uh, I ended up in state prison, and originally they sent me to a 90-day diagnostic study at Vacaville, which on the norm, it takes them about 60 to 75 days for the counselors to talk to you and the psychiatrists to talk to you, and, and they send their recommendation back to the courts and then go back to Sydney. Well, I was only there 25 days, and they already knew what they were going to recommend. And, uh, and I remember the counselors there telling me, you know what, that uh, there's a real good chance that I'm an alcoholic. And uh, I said, you know what, you're crazy. You know, I'm only 20 years old, and my my perception of an alcoholic at that at that time in my life was a person down on Two and F Street with a with a brown bag and a wine bottle. That was my perception of an alcoholic. I had no clue, no clue whatsoever about the disease of alcoholism. You know, I had no, I had no idea that you know, it, was, it was about a, an obsession coupled with a uh, physical allergy. I had no idea. Anyway, they sent me back to, uh, they sent me back to the Fresno court for sending, and. Uh, they gave me six months to 14 years on a forgery charge. And I went back. I went back to the guidance center and, and went on to went on to the joint where I was doing my time. And I ran into this partner of mine that that I was running with at the guidance center. And uh, we broke down a stash of pruno one night and uh, was eating a bunch of red and drinking that pruno and decided we didn't like that much. So we escaped. And uh, three days later, I'm sitting in the Humboldt County Jail, facing three counts of armed robbery, three counts of kidnapping, grand theft auto, escape, and three counts of assault with intention of great bodily injury. And I fought that case for almost a year. And the best, best deal that I could come up with that they would give me was five years to life. You know, we talk a lot about powerlessness and Alcoholics Anonymous. And during that escape, when I got, when, it, when we got arrested, we was in this stolen car, and there was three bad birds in this one road, and we made the first two and missed the last one, and we ended up rolling the car. And I'm laying out there in the middle of the road, and uh, there's this constable up there, and he had a shotgun about that far from my head. And he said, please switch so I can blow your brains out. At that point, I was powerless. Because I wasn't moving. I didn't think I'd switch. I hope I didn't. And uh, anyway, I, I got sentenced to the five of life and uh, ended up going to... Going back through the guidance center and on to another prison with a little bit more security. And uh, 
Ended up doing a little over five years that time. And I got out, and I ended up, uh, got a job. My brother got me a job at a tire shop here in Clovis, and, uh, you know, I was riding to this girl when I was a solid dad, and uh, she lived in Visalia, and, and she come down uh, one weekend, and uh, we were out partying, and uh, me and her, and uh, my oldest brother, and this other girl, and uh, we are sitting in this bar out in Clovis, and uh, we're all pretty well drunk, and she said, tells me, she says, Jerry, do you love me? And I said, well, hell yes, I do. Yeah. And she said, well, do you love me enough to marry me? And I said, why, hell yes. And she said, well, let's go to Reno and get married. And I said, hey, I ain't got no money, no way to get you. Don't worry about it. It's on me. Now, this is the good alcoholic thinking. Free trip to Reno. So anyway, we go up to Reno, and, uh, and we got married, and uh, come back, and two weeks later, it was over. That was a long one. And, uh, you know, I, I ended up going back on a parole violation. And I got out, I got out from that parole violation, uh, December 17th of 1976. It was actually two weeks later to the day. This was New Year's Eve of 1976. Me and my uh, girlfriend, two of my partners, two of my running partners, we got celebrating New Year's Eve, and we left the bar in Florida and went out to find Bill. And uh, I don't think I need to say what, what we're doing out there. But I think a lot of people probably know. Uh, anyway, uh, we decided to go back to uh, back to Florida and, uh, and do some drinking and do some dope and. Uh, we didn't make it. You know, it was, uh, this one partner of mine was, was in the back seat. He was, uh, playing around putting his hands over my eyes and, uh, all that stuff. And, uh, I'd get his hands off my eyes and I told him, you know what, brother, don't be doing that to your dude. There's a lot of drunks out here. And, uh, but anyway, then, uh, he did it again. I got his hands off and I said, oh, you want to play around, huh? So I started playing around and I ended up here. I hit a garbage truck head on. I was the only one to live. There was all three killed. Both of my uh, partners was uh, in the back seat. The, the driver's truck was in my back seat. Had them pinned in, and uh, they got uh, they got Diane out and, uh, and laid her on the on the shoulder of the road. And uh, I'm over there and I'm, and I'm pulling on my partner and I'm trying to get him out. And I haven't got a clue that the front wheel of the garbage truck is on his leg and I can't get him out. And, uh, I know the car's getting ready to explode at any time. And I'm pulling on him and I'm telling him, come on, brother, come on. And he ain't coming. He ain't, he, he ain't, he's not moving. Finally, the car exploded and they were both burnt beyond recognition. The only way they was able to identify was through the general trucks. And, uh, Diane lived for uh, 11 days, and the doctor said if she had lived, she'd have been vegetable because of the internal injuries. 
And one more time, I go back to prison. You know, I went to a coal bar there during the San Quentin, and they told me, they said, you know what, you definitely got an alcohol problem. At least suggested you get into some kind of cross-care program. And I, I remember to this day what I told him. He's like, it was yesterday. I told him, you know what, you're crazy. I just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. See, what I didn't take into consideration at that point in my life, three people are dead. And I already spent about 11, 12 years of my life locked up in institutions, but you know, I didn't have a problem. Yeah. They talk about that in the big book about the Hodge Anonymous, that delusional thinking. You know, and that delusional thinking is, you know what, I wouldn't know the truth if it came up and bit me in the ass. Anyway, uh, I did my time and I got out and I, I was in and out of prison, you know, a couple, two or three more times. And, uh, you know, last time I paroled, you know, in the beginning, when, when I, before I start talking, I welcome the newcomers to Alcoholics Anonymous, and there's a reason why I do that. Because when I was new to Alcoholics Anonymous, people were welcoming me. And it meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to me. Because, see, I was never welcome anywhere. You know. If anybody knew I was coming, man, they'd, they'd, they'd say, you know what, Jerry's on his way, man. I get everything is right. Because I was slowly blind in a hot seat. And, uh, I, uh, the last time I got out of prison, they said, you know what, if you ever come back to the joint again, please go to another. I thought, you know, that's pretty bad. They don't even want you out of prison. And, uh, anyway, that was, uh, March of 1984. And uh, you know what? I haven't been back to prison since I've been. I'd like to be able to say I've been sober that long, but that'd be a lie. Yeah. And uh, so when I got out of prison, uh, I thought, you know what, Jerry, what you need, man, you need a you need a woman in your life, man, that you know that doesn't drink, doesn't do dope, and doesn't do all that stuff, and you know, straight straighten me up. You know? So I hooked up with this uh, this woman, and uh, you know, she didn't drink, you know, she didn't do, you know, she didn't do dope, you know, she, she had prior to that, but she didn't at that time. And uh, anyway, we hooked up together, and uh, we ended up we ended up getting married, and uh, that lasted for about 12 years. And uh, right before my fifth AA birthday. Uh, she told me that she didn't want to be married anymore, and I said, okay. That day I moved in over my sponsor's house. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, like I said, you know, this is my third time to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I need to share this because there's so many newcomers here tonight. You know, the first time I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't work the steps. I didn't do anything that they suggested that I did. And I went back out and I drank one more time. After nine months. After nine months of just sitting in meetings with Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's all I did was sit in meetings with Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't, I didn't participate. I didn't do anything. And I went back out. And I, I came back in again. And I, I stayed around for seven months. And I did it a little bit differently this time. 
I didn't get a sponsor, but I did work the shift. You identifies. <laughs> and so obviously, I did the step the way I wanted to do. Not the way that they're suggested out of the big book of alcoholics and homies. And I went back out again. And when I came back in this last time, this is April 11th of 1990. I came back in and I did what I thought I would never do. See, my definition of surrender is when the cops are chasing me, stop and put my hands up. And there was no way in hell I would do anything like that. But today I know surrender means to win. See, I'm a winner today. Because I surrendered to the disease of alcoholism. I surrendered to Alcoholics Anonymous. I quit fighting. You know, I've never ever had a good excuse to drink or to do both. Never. I mean, I, I've never had a good reason. I had a lot of excuses and a lot of justifications. You know, the judge is always picking on me. He always gives me the aggravated prison sentence. He never gives me a mitigator. Cops are always picking on me. Parole officers always picking on me. I only turn in four dirty tails. I don't know why they're violating my parole. See, what I've learned in Alcoholics Anonymous is that as long as I had somebody else, some other person, place, thing, or situation to blame, that made it okay for Jerry to keep doing it because it wasn't my fault. See, I wasn't I wasn't being responsible for my actions. And uh, you know, I was talking to a partner of mine, you know, before the meeting started, you know, and I hadn't seen him in fourteen years. And I was telling him about one time I was sitting I was sitting in my cell in San Quentin and I accepted the fact that I was gonna die in the penitentiary someday. I accepted it. I didn't know if it was gonna be from old age or getting stabbed in a riot or whatever. But I knew I was going to die in, in a penitentiary someday. Why shouldn't I? That's where I spent most of my life. Yeah. And there was a time in my life where I felt more comfortable locked up in an institution than I did on the streets. See, I know how to live in there. I know how to hustle. I know how to do this. I know how to do that. I know how to run the game. Yeah. And I come back out to the streets and I can't handle it. It's too much. It's overwhelming. So little did I know, I started getting off into the drinking. Then I started getting off into the other stuff. Then I started getting off into the criminal activity. Yeah. Then I'd be back in back in the in county jail, going back to the pen one more time. And I felt relief. I felt at home. Uh, you know. If you're new here to Alcoholics Anonymous, I pray to God that you hang around until the miracles happen. Until the miracles happen. And the miracles will happen if you hang around long enough. And, uh, you know, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, like I said, you know, I, I do have a sponsor. I sponsor other guys. 
I'm in the service. See, I've been, I've, since I came in this last time, I started doing what they've been doing around these rooms since 1935. It tells me in a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and you can't figure out what to do. You can't figure out what's going on. Work with another girl. Work with another alcoholic. See, when I got the Alcoholics Anonymous, I was very selfish and self-centered. And they told me, you know what, Gary, you got to give it away and keep it. And I said, well, why in the hell do I want to give it away? It keeps me sober. And he said, well, brother, you don't understand, do you? I said, oh, obviously not. And he said, well, you will if you hang around long enough. So then I started, you know, I started sharing meetings and uh, you know, started talking to, you know, started talking to other people and. Uh, See, we never know, we never know who we're going to reach, you know. I've had newcomers sitting in meetings with Alcoholics Anonymous that have reached me, you know. And that's another thing that I've learned here in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. Just because, you know, I've got a little over nine and a half years of sobriety, I am no better than those people that identify themselves as newcomers now. I am no better. I am no different. I'm just a goddamn drunk trying to stay safe one day at a time. That's all I am. Sure, I might have a few more tools in my tool bag, but that's it. And I hope to God that I never see the day where I think, I, you know what, I got this deal down. When I think I've got it, that's when I'll get it. I'll get it big time, too. Yeah. You know, I don't, uh, you know, a big part of my sobriety is service work at Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, I always stress service work at my home group, which is Sierra Fellowship. And in my opinion, it's the best fellowship in the world. And I hope you think your home group is the best fellowship. And I've had people come up to me with uh, a week, two weeks sober, and they say, you know what, Gary, you, know, you can talk about this, you know, getting into service, and, uh, you know, but it takes six months to be a secretary, it takes six months to do this, and it takes six months to do that. I said, yeah, that's true. I said, but you know what, you can have one day, you can get up and pour coffee. See, that's what service work to me is. It's getting out of self and doing something for another human being. For free and for fun. For free and for fun. Just for the hell of doing it. And today, you know, I enjoy doing that. I enjoy doing that. I, uh, you know, in, uh, in my recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous, yeah. I'm not, I don't, you know, tell people, you know what, you've got to do it the way that I do it, or you, or you ain't going to stay sober, and, and, and all that stuff. No, like, you know, I've, I've heard some people running around the room do that. Yeah. Nobody has to do it the way that I do it. Yeah. When I share in the meeting or I speak to the of Alcoholics Anonymous, I just share how I stay sober. And if it helps somebody, 
I turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand Him, not as you understand, but as I am. And then once I make those decisions, I got to follow it through with some action. Like I got a cup of coffee right here, and I'm going to make a decision to take a drink, to take a drink of that coffee. I made the decision. Ain't nothing happening. Ain't moving. I've got to take some action. I got to pick that cup up and take a drink. And that's why. That's what alcohol is synonymous with. Yeah. It's an action program. Yeah. I'm going to get out of it exactly what I put into it. If I'm not willing to put anything into it, I'm not going to get anything out of it. I've done proved that to myself twice. First two times I was in Alcoholics Anonymous, I wasn't willing to put anything into it because you know what? I wanted it handed to me. Now, you got a picture of this. This guy that I'm talking about, he's twice as big as me. He's got twice as many tattoos. And we're standing in front, in the middle of a maximum security penitentiary hugging each other, telling each other we love each other. That's Alcoholics Anonymous. That's Alcoholics Anonymous, an example, you know. And I remember I asked them guys one time, I said, you know what, I said, you, know, you guys don't know if you're ever going to hit the streets again. Why do you keep coming to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous? You know what their reply was? He told me, he said, you know what, Jerry, he said, we, might have to, we may have to be locked up physically, but we do not have to be locked up emotionally or spiritually. He says, when you bring these meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous into these institutions, he says, you take a, you drive out here for an hour and a half to this desolate place and hang around for an hour and a half to talk to a bunch of old convicts and drive back for an hour and a half and get back home at 12, 1230, get up at 5 o'clock and go to work. And he says, you allow us, you bring us the message that, you know what, so we don't have to be locked up. Person. We don't have to be locked up anymore. You know? And uh, what a deal. What a deal. Yeah. You know, like I said earlier, I, uh, I got a full-time job as uh, driving. And I work for my, uh, I work for my sponsor part-time. And because of Alcoholics Anonymous and the actions that I choose to take, at both places that I work, I have I have a a corporate credit card with my name on it, for, you know, strictly for business use only, you know, to get gas and uh, and stuff like that. You see, people trust me. Today. People trust me. Today. Yeah. And that's a direct result of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. I guarantee you when I got here, I was not trustworthy. I was not trustworthy. Yeah. You know, I want to tell my, uh, my little airplane story. And uh, it's about this, uh, this guy that's uh, up in an airplane. Up there about two, three thousand feet, or however high they go. And he's getting ready to jump out of the airplane with a parachute. And they tell him before he jumps, he said, it's always suggested that you pull the ripcord. It's not mandatory. 
But if you want to live, I would uh, I would pull it. See, that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is to me. It's my rip for the life. See, it's just suggested that I get a sponsor. It's just suggested that I work the steps with that sponsor. It's just suggested that I get into service. It's just suggested that I sponsor other guys and pass on to them what was passed on to me. It's not mandatory. But see, I've already tried it my way before and it didn't work, and so I tried it their way, doing it the way that I do it today, and for, you know, it's working. It's working today, you know. Yeah. And that's what alcoholics anonymous is. Uh, it, it, it's my rip for the life. Uh, you know, if, if life got any better, I'd swear up and down it might be illegal. And you know, I, I have a, I have a great, you know, I have a good job. You know, uh, I have a lot of beautiful friends in alcoholics anonymous. I have a beautiful lady in my life. She's right over here. And uh, life is good. Life is good. And, uh, you know, so if, if you're new or, or, or fairly new to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, you haven't got a sponsor, get a sponsor. It's only suggestion. You know, and worth the steps. You know, it helps if you work a step with somebody that's already working. You know, and uh, yeah, I, I know today that you know, if it wasn't for Alcoholics Anonymous and a higher power in my life who I choose to call God, you know, I would not be standing up here today. Yeah, I would not be standing up here today. You know, we uh. At my at, at Sierra Fellowship, we lost a, a, a real good member, sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that, you know, that man was a walking example of Alcoholics Anonymous. He was dying from cancer, and he knew he was dying. He was going downhill quick. And he'd walk into meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous and say, you know what, I'm dying, and I don't want to take a drink. Now, if that's not the best excuse in the world to take a drink, I don't know what the hell it is. But that man was sitting in the about Fox Island and thought about it the other day. He knows he's not going to be here that much longer. And he don't want to take a drink of alcohol. And he's sitting in the meeting about Fox Island. I can't honestly say that if I knew I was going to die in six months or nine months or three months or whatever, I cannot stand up there and, and honestly tell you that if that happens to me, that I will not want to take a drink. I have no clue. I have no clue. That's an unknown. I would hope. <clears throat> I would hope that I don't want to take a drink, but I don't know. I don't even know what tomorrow's got in store for. And there's so many examples of alcoholics anonymous. Yeah. Good, bad, or indifferent. Good, bad, or indifferent. I've seen, I've seen people around the program with, with 
20, 21, 22 years of sobriety, and this is just my opinion, but you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to date this, but. And I've seen guys walking around meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous for 60, 90 days, and you know what? And they got something I want. What a concept. Yeah. So you see, the point I'm trying to make is not the quantity of sobriety that you have, it's the quality. It's the quality. Yeah. And my, it's real easy to sit in a meeting with Alcoholics Anonymous and practice these principles in all my affairs. But it's a whole different story when I walk out these doors. And my practice in these principles when I walk out the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous, I believe I am. To the best of my ability. Yeah, when somebody cuts me off on the freeway, I, you know, sometimes I still flip them off. Sometimes I still want to run them off the road and drag them out of the car and beat them to death. You know? But I know today, you know what? Those thoughts are going to come into my head. See, I have no control over the thoughts that come into my head. The only thing I have control over is my actions and my attitude. You know, I, I've learned in Alcoholics Anonymous how to feel. I've learned you know, how, how to uh, how to feel pain. I've learned how to feel joy. You know, I, 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 I used to always push myself to the limit. And, uh, you know, since, uh, since me and Nancy have been together, she's helped me to see where I push myself. Because if it was up to me, you know, I'd be involved in Alcoholics Anonymous 24 hours a day. But see, Alcoholics Anonymous, what it's done for me is it, it allows me to stay in service and do what I do to stay sober. But you know what? I still have a I still have a personal life too. And it and it's surrounded with Alcoholics Anonymous. He's a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I am surrounded by alcohol from the I work with guys that are solid members of alcoholics from My life has just truly, truly blessed me. You know? And, uh, you know, it's like I said before, you know, if you're sitting in here new, or fairly new to alcoholics anonymous, you know, if a drunk like me can do it, then you can do it. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a uh, anybody can anybody can get sober. Anybody can stay sober if they want it bad enough. See, for me, I have to want to be sober more than I want to drink take a drink of alcohol. I have to want it, yeah. and I do today because I see. What, what has come into my life and how my life has become as a direct of being sober. Yeah. And I see where my life came from. Yeah. And I tell you, it's a long, you know, it's a long, long way from sitting in themselves in those institutions accepting the fact that I'm going to die there someday to where I stand today.
But you know what? I pray God that I never forget. You know what? I got a long way to go, too. You see, I'll never get there. Where, where in the hell is there? I don't, I don't know where hell there is. I know where here is. I'm at the Lionel Club in Fresno, California. That's where I'm at today. That's why I'm at at this moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I sponsor a lot of guys. Yeah. And, uh, there's one, two, three, three of them here tonight. Yeah. And, uh, and I love each and every one of them. I love them with all my heart. I do anything for them. If it's within my power, I'll do anything for them. And uh, if you're new to Alcoholics Anonymous and you're wondering what the hell a sponsor is, well, I don't know what other people may tell you or whatever, but for me, you know, all, all, all I do as a sponsor is I, I take them through the steps the way that I would take them through, take them through the steps and and then, you know, them getting in service, you know, and Alcoholics Anonymous, because that's what keeps me sober. If not, why waste your time? That's why I picked the sponsor that I picked, because I wanted what he had. He's got what I want. So I do what he does. He goes to meetings. He's in service. He sponsors us. He talks to other alcoholics on the phone. So that's what I do. And it's working. Yeah. And it works real good. Yeah, so, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't, I don't really know what else to, uh, to share about except, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm real grateful to, to be in this meeting. 